For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Hump Day. I mean Wednesday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph. And I just want to say what a beautiful day it was outside before the stormy uh, Thursday that we're supposed to be getting. I don't know. It's supposed to be like rain like Thursday and Friday, I believe. I'm checking the weather right now. So, yeah, Thursday and Friday, supposed to rain. A little bit of thunderstorm, maybe. You might see some lightning in the distance. So, if you got uh, kids or pets... That are very uh, sensitive to that. Just a heads up. Be careful out there. But yesterday was beautiful. It was a great day to be outside today. Hopefully you were able to enjoy said weather. Unfortunately, I got some sad stuff to talk about today. But before I do, hopefully you've had a great week so far. We are halfway through. And to be at Wednesday, Friday is looming. The weekend is just a arm's length away Hopefully, this podcast and this show can help you through it. Also, don't forget to check out the YouTube channel for awesome content that I try to post very, very frequently. Not only is the podcast Murph's Boston Sports Talk always uploaded there every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but vlogs, history of old New England sport teams, the Wheel of Dynasty, the MLB 21 series that I'm doing on there. It's just a really good plethora of content over there on the YouTube channel. Go check it out, Murphs and Boston Sports Talk. Subscribe if you haven't considered yet. Definitely like the videos and comment down below. Whatever video you're watching, I definitely want to hear some feedback from you. If you certainly have that to give, I would love to hear it. But enough of the plugging of the YouTube channel and all my wonderful media outlets. We do have some serious, serious business to discuss. Quite frankly, I don't really know where to start. I could go with the Celtics. I could go with the Bruins. I don't really know. I didn't plan on talking about the Red Sox today, but they are not doing all too well down in Houston, let's just say. They've lost uh, two games down there. They're officially two games out of first place. The Rays keep winning. They're beating the Yankees, pushing them down. So thank goodness for the Rays and the Yankees series, how timely it is. Red Sox going to be in the Bronx this coming weekend, so maybe uh, salvage one game in Houston and then prepare for the Yankees in the Bronx. Like I mentioned, two more games, I'm sorry, in Houston, losing the first one, 11 to two and the second one, five to one game three today, eight, 10 and game four of that series tomorrow at two ten. Then you're off to the Bronx Friday, Saturday, Sunday, weekend series down there. It's going to be nutty. It's going to be wild. It's going to be the first series between the Red Sox and Yankees all year, so I'm definitely looking forward to it, regardless of where the teams stand in the standings. But damn, let's talk about those Rays. Holy smokes, they're eight and two in their last ten. They are twenty and eight on the road, and only fifteen and thirteen at home. Wow, they're a good team. They they really surprised a lot of people. A lot of people really had them taking a huge step back after reaching the World Series last year against the Dodgers. I was kind of on the fence. I really thought they were going to take a step back, but not too big of a step back. But, I mean, after a small, slow start at the beginning of the season, they really ramping it up. They're looking really good, like the team that we saw last year. Blue Jays, they're muddling in the middle. They're not really doing too much, but it's hard. When you have the Yankees, Red Sox, and Rays all playing fairly well ahead of you. And as I put chapstick on... Man, it's a long season. You can't get caught up in, you know, a week or two or just a series. You got to really look big picture. And I know that I mentioned that this series or these two series between the Astros and the Yankees are going to be huge pivotal series. 
uh, especially early in the season. Losing the first two in Houston's not a good look because, like I said, the Rays are looking really good, and I feel like that they could, you know, balloon their lead in the division to like five games relatively quickly, whether it's over the Red Sox or the Yankees. And I know it's only at two games right now, but next thing you know, you look at a week, it's four games, and then the next week, it's like seven games. So, so you got to really try to keep pace with the Tampa Bay Rays and also try to keep the Yankees as far back as possible. So if you're not going to do good against the Astros, at least bring your A game over the weekend in the Bronx against the Yankees. It's going to be a tremendous series. It's going to be something to really keep your eye on. Maybe that Red Sox-Yankees rivalry can have a little spark to it. It's been kind of uh, ah, dormant since like 2018 when Joe Kelly you know, really kind of lit the fire between the rivalry. So... We're just going to have to wait and see. Hopefully, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Hopefully, the Red Sox can salvage a split between the Astros winning, hopefully today and tomorrow, but I'm not going to hold my breath. Although the Astros haven't played as well as we thought they were going to early in the season, but as of late, they've definitely caught up. They're only half a game back behind the Oakland Athletics in the American League West, where they are 30-24. and 24. Astros 19-12 and 12 at home and 11-12 and 12 on the road. They're four of their last four of six. I'm sorry. (laughs) Four and six of their last 10 games. I'm getting my words all mixed up here. So, I mean, they're, you know, they were a struggling team going into this series, but they're performing fairly well. Man, like I said, it's a long season. It's hard to not, it's hard to not catch yourself up in just like one or two series or one or two weeks because of how long the season is. It would just be nice if the Red Sox can play consistent good baseball not just all year round but a good against good teams like i don't expect you to win every series but i mean you split against actually no you took two or three against the phillies you took two or three against the blue jays you took two or three against the uh angels and then most recently you split between the braves and you uh took the two games against the marlins so it's just overall i can't complain no i can't complain overall but when it matters against the Astros, the Yankees, you're going to be playing the Astros again next week. Then you get the Blue Jays again, and then you get the Braves again. It's like, okay, okay. And then at the end of the month, you got the Tampa Bay Rays, which is going to be a massive series. And then after that, you got the New York Yankees coming into town. So it's like, we got some good baseball ahead of us. So strap yourself in for the month of June, because there's going to be a lot of good baseball. And by the end of June, come July 1st, the standings could look a lot different, either for the good or for the worse, depending on what side of the coin you're on. So that's going to be my quick, brief Red Sox minute here before I really dive into the heart and soul of today's episode, where I will break down both the Boston Celtics and the Boston Bruins. First, I guess the Bruins? Uh, no, let's go Celtics first, because you know I have a lot more to say about the, the Celtics with their season now officially over at the hands of the Brooklyn Nets where the Nets beat the Boston Celtics 123-109 in Game 5 of their Best of 7 series, where Game 5 was held in Brooklyn, New York, with the Nets winning that series 4 games to 1. Tatum, after a strugglish first two games, he really balled out the next three games. I mean, 32 points in 41 minutes. You can't, I mean, you can ask more, I guess, but I mean, seriously, this guy is just a one-man show, and if it wasn't for Tatum... It would have been a three-game sweep where the fourth game was just formality. Honestly, without that 50 points in Game 3, you lose. And without 40 points in Game 2 or whatever it was, I'm sorry, not Game 2, Game 4, you lose a lot worse. I mean, you still lost, but you lose by a lot more. All right, so anyways, continuing. Fournier, 18 points in 36 minutes. Thompson, 9 and 9 in 30 minutes. Smart, 14 points in 39 minutes. Romeo Langford, 17 points in 38 minutes. All right. <laughs> Did anyone see that coming? Sure as hell not me. And then Jabari Parker, 13 points in 14 minutes as well. Overall, Celtics have a lot of work to do this offseason. They really do. I mean, you cannot rely on Jalen Brown, who's injured this, you know, for a while, but, you know, generally speaking, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum as your two guys. I mean, yes, they're your two superstars. They're your two alpha dogs, but the surrounding core is just abysmal. Grant Williams, Aaron Neesmith. I mean, Romeo Langford was kind of a dud to start, 
Grant, he was injured, but now that he's healthy, he's balling. He's balling. Peyton Pritchard, up and down. Tremont Waters, Carson Edwards, Taco Falls. Like, I mean, semi Ogier, like I could do this all day. You have to go out and make moves. You have to go out and make some moves. Now, this just broke today. And if you've been living under a rock, it's okay. Because like I said, this news came out today that Boston Celtics president Danny Ainge, GM, retires. He's stepping down from, you know, being president of basketball operations for the Boston Celtics, where coach Brad Stevens will step up and take over. So ESPN broke this news and an article came out at, you know, 1030 or so in the morning. Is there an author of this article? Because I'd like to give credit where credit is due. Um, ah, Tim Bontemps. ESPN Tim Bontemps is uh, credited with this report. And let me read this to you word for word. The Boston Celtics announced Wednesday that Danny Ainge is retiring and coach Brad Stevens is being promoted to president of basketball operations. The Celtics will start a search for a head coach to replace Stevens and said Ainge will work with the team on the transition through the offseason. Quote, it was my decision, Ainge said at a news conference Wednesday. Quote, I don't know if there was a moment in time, but like I said earlier, I trust my instincts. And my instincts told me a couple months ago that it was time for me to move on. And that's what's best for us. That's what's best for the Celtics. Ainge, 62, said he started thinking about the move when he had a mild heart attack in 2019. He said that a couple of years have been... He said that the last couple of years have been tough because of the pandemic. Also the bubble. You know, all the COVID protocols. It can be tough. I mean, he's 62 years old. He's not a young blood anymore. He had a mild heart attack. And, you know, that's that's some scary stuff. So we can't, you know, undermine that. Uh, Ainge would go on to say, quote, In the bubble and all the rules and scrutiny and protocols that we had to go through has not made the job as much fun, quote, he said. The move comes a day after Boston's disappointing season came to an end in a loss to the Brooklyn Nets in Game 5 of the first-round playoff series in Brooklyn. Stevens, 44, who has been coached for the past eight seasons, has been described as worn down with coaching since the bubble and welcomed the chance to make the transition to the front office, sources told ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. Quote from Stevens, quote, I'm passionate about this group of people. I'm, pa- I'm passionate about the team we have. I'm passionate about the work in our front office. I'm passionate about our coaching staff. And that's who I've spent all morning with, Stephen said. Quote, I don't think I have a good insight into our team as Danny now steps away. Oh, I do think I have a good insight into our team as Danny steps away. Excuse me. End quote. Ainge would go on to say, quote, I'm excited for Brad. He was born for this. Owner Wick Grosbeck, who hired Stevens in 2013, told reporters that he and Stevens agreed, quote, to win Banner 18, or die trying, end quote. So before I continue with the rest of the article, I just want to pause right there. We have a lot to really kind of debrief and go into. I first want to kind of mention that hopefully that Danny Ainge's mild heart attack wasn't the reason why, and it seems like that it wasn't, because as much as I've been very harsh and critical of Danny Ainge, not just this year, but the past couple seasons, it would suck to go out like that, you know, Heart attacks, strokes, whether anything, anything medical. You hate to see someone get injured or have to step away for medical reason. And when you look at LaMarcus Aldridge this year for the Brooklyn Nets, had an irregular heartbeat, instantly retired. I mean, that just blows. And as much as a competitor that I am, and as much as I love winning, not just in Boston sports, just even when I play, you absolutely hate to see somebody get injured. I hate to see somebody get injured because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about good, fair sportsmanship and competition. And if one team is not 100%, then, sorry, I just dropped my chapstick. Then, I mean, I don't want to say what's the point, but then you didn't have the opposing teams all, right? Let's say in, you know, AFC title game, right? When the Patriots and the Chiefs were in the the, the game before uh, the Patriots advanced to Super Bowl 53. Let's say Patrick Mahomes was injured for that game and the Patriots win in a blowout, 42-3. to three. You know, whatever. Let's just go example. 
are you really beating the Chiefs at that point? You're not beating them at their fullest potential because their best player is injured. And I know I'm kind of going on a tangent here and or just kind of sidetracked, but I'm trying to just make my point. So you would hate to see someone have to step away in Danny Ainge for a uh, health condition. So hopefully he is, you know, happy, healthy, which is with his decision. Do I think it's the best decision for the Celtics to move past him? Yes. I think this is ultimately the best move for the Boston Celtics because they need to look forward. In the past couple of seasons, past few years, Danny Ainge has not got the job done. His last big move besides drafting was to bring in Kyrie Irving, and that really wasn't the best result, right? I mean, he's brought in minor moves. He brought in Jabari Parker via free agency. He brought in Evan Fournier via trade. There's been small moves, right? There's been small moves, and of course you can't forget that he brought in Isaiah Thomas all those years ago, but that's all those years ago. We need a fresh new mind, a fresh new start, because the Celtics do have an important offseason coming up, which I will talk about in a little bit. But having Brad Stevens go from the coaching position to Danny Ainge's front office president of basketball operations position is something I did not see. Now, recently, I was very uh, critical of Brad Stevens and his coaching job because I, you know, went into the fact that he was the guy for the job when the Celtics were rebuilding. Now that the Celtics were done rebuilding and were competitive, it was kind of time for someone new. I made the comparison to Doc Rivers before he left. I made the comparison to Mark Jackson when he was the coach of the Warriors before they went on their tear in basketball. So to see him get promoted, I'm proud of the guy. I think he deserves it, but it's just something that I did not expect. It is very shocking, but I'm looking forward to it. It's a guy, an in-house guy who knows the team, who's going to be on a, you know, from a different point of view, going to be working with the team from a different end of things. And I think it could work. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of moves Stevens makes as a, uh, as a general manager, or I don't know if he's got that title yet, but at least the president of basketball operations. So, I mean, that's kind of one of the same. I'm going to be really interested to see how that, uh, how that plays out. I really am. So let's continue with the article. He said, Quote, the idea of Brad taking over became, it's a natural promotion from somebody we've worked with for eight years, end quote. And that's, uh, I believe, uh, owner Wick Grosbeck. Ainge was the architect of Boston's last title team, the 2008 squad featuring Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Ray Allen, and was the third longest tenured active lead executive of any NBA franchise, trailing only longtime nemesis Pat Riley with Miami Heat from 95, and Greg Popovich with the San Antonio Spurs from 1996. Quote, Helping guide this organization has been the thrill of a lifetime and having worked side-by-side side with him since he's been here. I know we couldn't be in better hands with Brad guiding the team going forward, end quote, Ainge said in an earlier statement. The Celtics are headed into, a, into what is a pivotal offseason for the franchise after Boston finished 7th in the Eastern Conference on the heels of making it to the conference finals three of the past four seasons. After years of having surplus draft picks and the opportunity to make moves in free agency, the Celtics find themselves without either this offseason. And that is something that I have completely, you know, gone on rants about is the fact that you had a million draft picks, you had all this cap space at one point, you had players to move, and you really didn't do anything besides just draft those players. Kemba Walker, the team's highest paid player, has two years and $73 million remaining on his deal, and he is coming off a season that saw him miss 29 games, plus Boston's final two playoff games, with knee issues. Marcus Smart, the team's emotional leader, is entering the final year of his contract and is extension eligible, and Evan Fournier, whom Boston acquired at the trade deadline after using a significant portion of the trade exception created when Gordon Hayward departed in free agency last offseason will be an unrestricted free agent. The Celtics have moves to make. They do. And before recording this, I sat down in my studio at my desk. I brought out everything. Articles, research findings, uh, players, you know, projections moving forward, what players have done in the past. I have made phone calls. I have, you know, sent emails, text messages, talking around the league. 
I'm just kidding, guys. I, I just sat at my desk on the NBA trade machine in hopes to come up with some moves to be excited for, at least that I can control, obviously not including signing free agents, which is a whole nother animal. I have come up with two potential trades for the Boston Celtics to uh, indulge in, right? One is a three-team trade, and then the other is just a you know, two-team trade, your traditional two-team trade. It seems like you don't see all those too often anymore. So let's go over the three-team trade first because I feel like this is a massive move, but also a groundbreaking move as well because it kind of rips apart the team a little bit, but nothing too crazy. Both moves, considering it kind of rips it apart, but this is really the first big move that tears things apart. Another thing that I kind of want to just mention before I go into the trade is just, this is my opinion. This is just me goofing around on the trade machine. Obviously, there's so many variables in an NBA trade, especially an NBA trade. And as I get closer to the mic, you may not agree with my trade or my trade targets or Jesus or players that I want to trade. And that's okay. And that's why I want to I want you to reach out to me on social media or comment down below because I want to have this conversation. I want to have this discussion because when the Patriots first entered the offseason, that was all we were talking about is key free agent targets who we're going to draft, potential draft day trades, et cetera, et cetera. And now that the Celtics have officially reached their offseason, it's time to have this conversation because we all know that finishing seventh and getting bounced in the first round is not acceptable. And I think that these moves could really help turn you know next season around to where they can be competitive in not only the East, but just be competitive throughout the NBA because clearly from what we saw this year, that wasn't the case. So first trade, three-team trade between the Boston Celtics, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Oklahoma City Thunder. And in this trade, you might want to get some pen and paper for this because this is a chunky trade. I mean, both trades are chunky. So let me know when you're ready. Pen and paper, right? Or you can type it. I don't care. Okay, so here we go. Carson Edwards. A 2023 first round top five protected pick and Evan Fournier in a sign and trade to the Cavaliers. Then you send Kemba Walker to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And in return, you will get Colin Sexton and a 2024 second round pick. In addition, the Cavaliers will be sending Larry Nance Jr. to the Thunder, where the Thunder will give them a first-round pick. So, kind of a hard, I don't want to say a hard reset, but a, a slight reset nonetheless for the Cavaliers. There's rumors that the Cavaliers might move on from Colin Sexton, and I really think that the Celtics could take advantage of that because he is young, he's relatively affordable, and... It would. He's not a score-first guy. He can be. Don't get me wrong. He absolutely can be. But he would be a great option, a great three option for you, uh, for the Celtics. I really do. You move on from Evan Fournier. You will obviously either let him go for free or you try to sign and trade. You move on from Carson Edwards because he's doing absolutely nothing for you. And then you unload Kemba Walker's contract, full contract, to the Thunder who can absorb it. And just to make it worthwhile for both the Cavaliers and the Thunder, the, the Thunder will get Larry Nance Jr. So hopefully that can give them a little bit of a boost as they start to become competitive again. And I think with Kemba, Larry Nance, Shy Gilgis Alexander, obviously Al Horford <laughs> still out there, but probably not for much longer. You could see that move kind of happen as they kind of bring in a couple of uh, veteran pieces to really kind of make somewhat of a push forward. I mean, it's not going to really cost them that much. It's going to cost them a first-round pick and a second-round pick for the Thunder, and they have a plethora of draft picks. So why not? Why not? That's from their perspective. And like I said, Colin Sexton kind of on the edge of being you know, moved by the Cavaliers anyways. You get Evan Fournier, a nice little score. You get Carson Edwards, who can you know be a shooter but also play some defense. Plus, you get two first-round picks, one of them from the Celtics being a top-five protected pick just because Colin Sexton's on a one-year deal and that sign-in trade for Evan Fournier is a four-year deal. 
Just something right there that I really can see happening. Obviously, there may be some other pieces that need to be involved from either the Celtics, Cavs, or the Thunder. But I think this is a good trade for them as it really kind of mixes things up or at least starts to mix things up in the Celtics offseason roster pot, whatever you want to call it. So let me just recap really quickly. The Celtics will acquire Colin Sexton from the Cavaliers in a 2024 second round pick from the Oklahoma City Thunder for Carson Edwards and Evan Fournier from a sign and trade. Plus, they will be giving up a 2023 first round pick, which is top five protected. Cavaliers will also be acquiring a 2023 first round pick from the Oklahoma City Thunder as the Thunder will be acquiring Larry Nance Jr. from the Cavaliers and Kemba Walker, Kemba Walker, excuse me, from the Boston Celtics. I really think it's a win-win across the board. I don't know if, you know, maybe that 2023 first round pick from the Thunder need to, needs to be bumped up to maybe a 2022. I, I can't, I can't see why that wouldn't work. I mean, the, like I said, the Thunder have a plethora of draft picks and just for argument's sake, I'll just go in right now and just kind of fiddle with that uh, picks because they have a, a ton of them. You could even do a first round pick if you really freaking wanted to. Does it really matter? Probably not. So let's just throw it in there. Um, ah, what did I press? Okay. 2022, just, just to make things just a little bit more spicier for, you know, all parties involved, the trade still works. And I think that might be a little bit better for the Cavaliers so they can have their first round pick this year. They'll have two next year and then they'll have two the year after that. So that is my first trade, three team trade between the Celtics, Cavs and the Thunder. And now the second trade is between the Celtics duh, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. So I'm sure you can kind of see where I'm going with that. And I think my dog is hungry, and I can, I can hear him coming up the stairs, and you might be able to hear him jingle on the mic. So quick timeout while I go feed him. And just like that, Bogey is fed. We are back. And like I said, Celtics, Timberwolves, you can kind of see where this trade is going. And it could happen. It's been you know kind of rumored for some time now, and I really feel like if the chips are pushed into the table... This is something that really we could see happen. That's Carl Anthony Towns to the Boston Celtics. So just just really quick before I get into the trade, envision Colin Sexton, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Carl Anthony Towns. That's spicy. That is really spicy. They're all young. They're all good. Um, Towns, Tatum, Brown, all under contract. Colin Sexton might be a one-year rental potentially, but I mean, it's worth it's. Then you just gotta build some pieces, bring in veteran pieces, because like I said, you're trading Carson Edwards, you're trading Kemba Walker, and then listen to what you're giving up here. I I'm gonna start with the draft picks first, just because I think if I start with the players, you'd be like, no, 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 not happening. If you were the Timberwolves, you wouldn't agree to that. So let me start off with the draft picks. 2021 first round pick, unprotected, just straight up unprotected. I have no idea what it is for the Celtics. Obviously, with the playoffs still going, but it's gonna be just outside the lottery. 2022 swap. I mean, you can't give up back. Oh, Jesus, bogey. You can't give up back-to-back picks, so it has to be unprotected swap. You're already moving your 2023 in a previous trade, so could we see a 2024 unprotected, uh, uh, unprotected, you know, swap? Sure. A 2025 unprotected pick. So you're giving up two unprotected picks and then one um, swap that is favorable for the Timberwolves. So you're giving up three potential first-round picks. A 2023 second-round pick. Then Grant Williams and Semi Hojale. I don't think that gets it done. Mathematically, it is a successful trade. But you. That's Bogey uh, scratching his neck, or, you know, whatever, and his collar jingling. So, yes, I don't see this trade happening, but it's a start. Do you have to give up more draft picks? Let's have that conversation. 
Do you have to give up another player? A lot of people are saying you'd have to give up Jalen Brown for that to happen. Ah, I don't see it. Do you have to move on from Marcus Smart? Well, let's just throw him in there. Let's see. Uh, where is Marcus Smart? Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart. Where are you? Oh, you're way up here. Trade to Timberwolves. Does that do it? Hold on. Try trade. That's a success. So we could see Marcus Smart, who's in the last year of his contract that we just went over. All that's on the table. And I, I really don't want to give up Marcus Smart. I really don't. But, I mean, if you have to, I think you should do it. I really think you should do it. I've been a big proponent of Marcus Smart. I love Marcus Smart. I think he's the heart and soul of your team defensively. He's an emotional leader. He is a... Uh, oh, man. You know, it's hard because he has so many good moments for you. And he has so many bad moments as well. I mean, if not Marcus Smart, who else would they want? Aaron Neesmith, maybe? Peyton Pritchard? I mean, I was thinking to myself, it would have to be one of these three players. Langford, Neesmith, and Peyton Pritchard. I mean, they seem like they're okay. At, they got De uh, The Timberwolves seem like they're okay at guard. They got D'Angelo Russell. Ricky Rubio as the backup, Malik Beasley as a shooting guard, Anthony Edwards as a shooting guard, Jarrett Culver as a shooting guard. So they have options there. So could an Aaron Neesmith be on the move? I mean, I certainly definitely wouldn't mind that over a Marcus Smart. Let's uh, throw that in, in the old trade machine. Where is it? Da, 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 da. Try trade. I mean, that still works. I mean, if we got to do that, let's do that. If we got to throw in more draft picks, sure, let's do that. But like I said, this is just a starting point. This is where a conversation is developed. Is at the, at the NBA trade machine is where all good conversations are born. At least in basketball. When the Celtics are ousted in the first round, their GM retires, their head coach gets promoted, and we have an offseason that is so crucial and critical to your team for the following season. I think something like this could happen. I really do. At least, okay, the Celtics-Cavs-Thunder trade, that three-team trade, is super realistic. I I really think that a couple minor pieces may need to be adjusted, and that's a done deal. I really do. I can't see why none of those three teams would say no. I really don't. You get a young point guard... Sure, second-round pick. But, I mean, Danny's no longer there, so you can't hoard all those draft picks. But you get a young point guard who's still trying to prove himself relatively cheap, who's not a you know who's a scorer, don't get me wrong, but he's not going to be you know egotistic having to be number one. You give up uh, Carson Edwards, a first-round pick, and Kemba Walker. So you move a couple other uh, pieces there. You free up that Kemba Walker contract. You maybe give up a little bit more than you wanted to for a Colin Sexton-type player. But that's okay because, you know, the Thunder with Walker and Nance get a couple veteran pieces because they can afford them. And they really try to go, you know, win some games because they were in the playoffs just last year. And you could call it the Chris Paul effect, which which is a true, real thing. But just looking at it, they have an outside shot to make some noise. I really think so. And let me just NBA standings. Let's just take... I know that the Thunder sucked. Though I'm not going to try to sit here and argue like, oh, the Thunder are good. I mean, they finished 14th, 22-50. and 50. I know they're not good. They're not going to be good overnight. But it's it's just a conversation to have. I mean, they have a gazillion and one draft picks, which they could use those in accordance to taking on these players. Maybe make some moves. Make some other moves. Bring in Kemba. Bring in Larry Nance. Trade some other picks. Bring in somebody else. Flip one of the flip Larry Nance for someone else. I don't care. And then you also sign and trade Evan Fournier, which at least you get something for him. Unlike you got nothing for Gordon Hayward last year. So that's that trade. And then the Timberwolves trade, just not. Carl you know, Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, just not working out. I mean, they're good young stars, but they're really not doing anything. Moving Carl Anthony Towns while he has, you know, a big, a relatively large contract on hand could really kind of help alleviate the Timberwolves, you know, their cap situation, bringing a bunch of young assets. Aaron Neesmith just got drafted in the first round just last year, who can still kind of, I would say, do something in this league. I don't think he's a bust yet, 
Semi Ojale, who can shoot, play some defense. Grant Williams, who can uh, be a stretch four, play some defense. And then those draft picks, which really would help them with that reset. Free up a lot of cap, like I said, over there for them. And like I said, like I like I said, that Celtics Timberwolves trade would probably have a lot of tinkering to do. But what I love to do on this show is generate a conversation, generate a discussion, and have a debate. And I think that what I did on this trade machine does that, which is realistic, possible. I would say a lot of people, uh, a lot of Celtics fans would hope something like this was to happen. And I can't see why not. So reach out to me on social media at Mervs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for sports talk. Let me know if you think that my trade machine, whatever I came up with the trade machine is what you want to see, what you think could happen. Maybe you don't like it. Let me know. And also comment down below on YouTube. Let me know what you think about it. Am I just, you know, shooting shit out of my ass? Am I, you know, logical for coming up with something like this? Is this something that you want? Something that you don't want? What tweaks or changes would you do if you were the Celtics GM? So definitely reach out to me. I want to hear what you have to say. Definitely also comment or reach out to me about the whole Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens situation as we literally just got eliminated yesterday. Celtics got eliminated yesterday and they're already making moves. So hopefully there's more moves to come, especially in terms of their roster because they need to do such a thing. Oh, also trading a bunch of these young players, Ojale, Williams, Neesmith, Edwards, opens up your team to bring in veterans. That's what you need, especially if you're going to have Sexton, Town, Brown, um, Tatum, Smart. You need a guy like a Tristan Thompson. You also need players that are older too who have been through the trenches. I will forever say that you know good young teams need a Richard Jefferson, a Vince Carter type of player who have seen a lot in the league, experienced a lot, been a part of a lot of things, both good and bad. Someone that's not going to demand shots, minutes, whatever, who can really teach the young guys. They just need, you know, the Celtics need to go out and find a Richard Jefferson, a Vince Carter, a Udonis Haslam even for the Miami Heat. Someone like that who can help tutor mentor give advice give guidance to the young Celtics team because this move will definitely make them I don't want to say younger because you're bringing in Sexton who's young you bring in Towns who's young but you're also moving on from Kemba Walker who has some experience I guess you can call you know this year and last year playoff experience but he's like 31 32 now so yeah let me know what you think about that if you know if I am just Going on this rant, Bogey, relax. If I'm going on this rant for no reason, or if I'm actually making some noise and speaking to you, my supporters, my listeners, my downloaders, fans, whatever, Celtics Nation, that's who I'm trying to address right now. So reach out to me about that. All right, enough of the Celtics. Season's over. We're going to talk more about them later on as you know the playoffs go, their offseason gets underway. We'll be talking more about the Celtics. Don't worry. I mean, they're not going to go away forever. There's a lot of moves, a lot of questions to be answered. But let's kind of get off of the Celtics here. Let's transition over to the Boston Bruins because there is a big conversation to be had with them. And as we know, as we don't love, the Boston Bruins did lose. (sighs) Bogey, make up your mind. Upstairs or downstairs, bro? Boston Bruins did lose 4-3 in overtime, unfortunately. It was a game. It it was a weird, weird game. Bruins, hot start. Charlie Coyle netted a goal within minutes. I think it was like three minutes, and he gets a goal. And it's like, okay, here we go. We're going to get the ground running. We're going to really get cooking here. But, you know, one nothing after the one, and then the Islanders score three on answered goals holy deflation unbelievably deflating oh i like i don't even know where to begin like one goal fine it happens going down you know giving up another goal losing you know breaking the tie you know being losing right (laughs) what i'm trying to say that's deflating and like that's 
doable, though. I mean, one goal in hockey is a doable deficit. But then you give up that third goddamn goal. It's like, what the fuck are we doing? And the Bruins looked terrible. They looked god-freaking-awful in that second period. I've watched a lot of Bruins hockey this year. And that might have been their worst freaking period all year long. Absolutely all year long. Then in the third period, you see the Bruins just, you know, really ramp it up. Hitting, offense, you know, physicality, emotion. It was fantastic. You know, they were down those two goals. They net one with like, I think it was 11 minutes or so. They score another one, I think with... Seven minutes to go. I, I forget the exact numbers, but I'm just giving you a rough idea. And it's like, woo, let's go, right? I mean, I was going crazy with Kim. Kim and I were both watching the game, and I was going crazy. I did have a couple tweeze, twisted tees, I won't lie. But I was going crazy, yo. So we saw goals by Charlie Coyle, like I mentioned, which was that first one. Patrice Bergeron got the second goal. And then Brad Marchand tied it up in the third period with a goal himself. <sighs> Man, the Bruins had so much going on for them. Lost the momentum just a little bit towards the end of the third, but it was really good game overall, especially through three. I mean, it was just up and down, up and down. I mean, without that second period, giving up one goal or two goals, whatever, in that second period, but just if you tried and put an effort that period, you win this game. You win this game. And then you go up and give the goal in overtime, Obviously, whenever a goal is scored, you always want to look at the goalie. That was not Tuka Rask's fault. There was even rumors of him coming out uh, to start the third period because of a, a potential back injury. Now, back injuries for goalies, I don't think, are common or uncommon, let me let me say, because we've seen plenty of goalies get back injuries before. Tuka, you know, is a victim of this himself. And Bruin, uh, Bruce Cassidy... Bruins coach obviously acknowledged that goalie, you know, Tuka Rask is playing through a nagging injury, quote, not unique to just Tuka for that position. Right now, I don't believe there's any reason to believe he won't be ready to go for Thursday, being game three. I just, ugh, I mean, there was, you know, potent, the possibility that Tuka Rask did not come out for the third period against the Islanders in game two, where we may have saw Jeremy Swayman have to take the pipes. I just, I don't know. Is this, you know, the beginning of the the end for Tuka Rask? Is this where he starts to decline? You know, obviously, regardless of how the playoffs go, you're going to have to have this conversation that is Tuka worth bringing back? Is, is he worth bringing back for a year, two years, an extension, whatever? You got Swayman. Yaroslav Halak's also up, but he's not nearly expensive. So you could bring Halak back to be that veteran backup who can, you know, spot start and, you know, be relied on for a period of time. Not too long, as we saw, you know, last year's bubble. But still, I mean, is he actually going to be ready to go for Game 3? And if he is, what percentage? Because goalie is the second most important position in sports. Behind quarterback, you guys know that quarterback is the most important position in sports, at least in my opinion, and I really think that's true. Goalie has to be number two. Has to be. A team will only go as far as their goaltender takes them. That's just a fact. That is just a fact. And if if Tuka Rask isn't 100%, I don't know if I want him back there. I mean, I guess I'll take 90% because of all the experience that he has. And he is a very good goalie. He really is. It's just, I, I really don't want to turn to Jeremy Swayman just yet because of the lack of experience that he has. Just not, not just, you know, in playoffs, which he has none of, but just in general. I don't think he's ready for that yet. That's why I'd like to see, you know, hopefully the Bruins can kind of win game three handedly so you can throw in Swayman for even like, you know, six minutes. I don't care how long it is, 10 minutes. And, you know, if things go sideways, then you bring in Rask back. I mean, that's just, you got to get the guy playoff experience one way or another without having to throw him into the fire. Because last year we saw Dan Vladar get thrown into the fire. And it did not work out well. He gave uh, against what was it the Tampa Bay Lightning? I believe he gave up six goals, whatever the hell it was. I don't even remember what the number was, and I don't even want to remember how that game played out. So this is something that needs to be talked about. This is something that needs to be, you know, it has to be concerning if you're a Bruins fan. 
it, you really have to, you know, look at Tuka Rask as, I'm not going to say he's the problem because he, they did not lose in that game. He has not, you know, the two games that they've lost this year in the playoffs, they, he has not been the reason why. I don't think many of the goals were necessarily his fault. The Islanders, besides that one breakaway, their three goals, their first three goals in the second period, either hit off a skate or just kind of went through you know, the, the five hole where Rask couldn't find it. Or, you know, reflected and deflected, whether it was off him, another player, whatever. I just, I mean, Rask has made incredible saves all playoff long. And without him, I don't know if, you know, that Capital Series would have been one in five games. You may be down 0-2 right now to the Islanders if it's not for Rask. I'm not going to say he's perfect. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that. But Rask is definitely a major reason why you have won Five of seven games thus far in the playoffs. So talking about another injury, you know, I hate to abruptly kind of switch gears here, but Craig Smith was also out due to a uh, lower body injury. And I, it's so weird how in hockey it's lower upper body or head, right? It's one of those three. You rarely get to, uh, to the pinpoint of said injury, but yes, uh, Craig Smith did not play because of a lower injury. I hear that it's a calf injury, I believe. So it's not knee. We, you know, people thought you know around the Bruins thought it was knee injury at first, and thank goodness it's not. Hopefully he can come back, and it seems like you know things are pointing in the right direction for Craig Smith to come back for Thursday's game three, especially with the extra day off between games two and three. He needs to be out there, just plain and simple. Needs to be out there. That second line is completely different without him. Imagine if the Bruins did not trade for Taylor Hall. A, you wouldn't be where you are now. And B, this team would be a one-line team. And that is just, you know, Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak. But with Taylor Hall, with Craig Smith, you know, siding David Krejci, you're a two-line team. And sometimes, you know, that third line may look good and... I think Coyle and Jake DeBrusque are a good fit for each other. As much as Jake DeBrusque has been getting a lot of heat and he deserves it for his lack of play so far in the playoffs. He did have those uh, those two goals in games or one and two against the Cavaliers. But other than that, he's been a stiff out there. He's really contributed almost zero, I would say. And game two in this series was more of the same. Just didn't look right out there. I really think the Bruins should strongly consider moving on from him come the end of the season, whenever that is for their off season to begin. I don't like him on the second line with David Krejci and Taylor Hall. I'd rather see Carson Kuhlman, who did get the spot start in place of Craig Smith, who was on the third line. I'd rather see him on the second line. He's a good young speedster, and I think he would really help benefit Taylor Hall and David Krejci on that second line. I don't want to see two lines adjusted, so obviously moving Jake DeBrusque up to the second you have to adjust the third, putting in Coleman there. If you just keep things the way they are and put Coleman at the second line on the right wing, then you're only fixing one line, and that's just because of an injury. I hopefully, hopefully, hope that <laughs> that Craig Smith is back because without him, that second line, and just your offense in general just takes a huge, huge punch in the mouth. But I definitely want to see more Carson Coleman. I wouldn't be opposed I would not be opposed to Carson Coleman starting over Jake DeBrusque. I think you should just, you know, kind of bench him for a game because he really hasn't given you all too much this series and towards the end of the first series against the Capitals. Carson Coleman gives you a little bit of juice, a little bit of energy. He's super fast. He's, you know, very quick to the puck and can, you know, win those 50-50 pucks or, you know, kind of, you know, kill off some uh, icing calls, right? He's that kind of player, and I think he would serve very well alongside a Taylor Hall and David Krejci, but obviously Jake, he would go on the third line if Craig Smith comes back. And, you know, putting Carson Coleman with uh, Charlie Coyle and Nick Ritchie, I wouldn't mind that at all. I think it just gives you just a little bit of juice. And another substitution that I wouldn't mind seeing, or actually I think should happen, is Jeremy Lozon. Jeremy Lozon has been pretty bad so far this series. Obviously, he was involved in, I think, two of uh, the goals last night. 
one of them being around the one that kind of squeezed through Tuka Rask where he kind of went to go to the post and just trickled between his legs. I think Lozon went to go hit it out, but just kind of whiffed on it, whatever. And then obviously in overtime, Lozon goes to pass, gets broken up, and it hits a skate. I forget whose skate it hits, but Lozon went to go pass. It hits a, someone's skate. It might have been Carlos, and it just shoots the other way, and that's when the Islanders were able to get the breakaway to score in overtime. Super heartbreaking and crushing. But besides that, I mean, bad pass, I just think Lozon is just not there yet. I mean, he's a good young defenseman, but I think someone like a Jared Tenorti would be best suited for at least one or two games to kind of give you some physicality because the New York Islanders stepped up. They stepped up their physicality for game two. And like I've been mentioning all playoff long, the Bruins are not a physical rough and rowdy Go hit them into the boards and punch their teeth out team. They can play like that and live up to that when they face it, but that's not their ideal play style, and the Islanders are more so like that than the Bruins are, and we saw that from the Islanders last night. (sighs) Bruins, man, that was such a... Just taking a deep breath just to kind of (laughs) refocus myself because it was just such a heartbreaking loss. You know, they were down three to one, and if you lose three to one, you got you you got beat. Okay, you weren't the better team that night. You deserve to lose, but they go out and tie the game in the third period. The energy and the juice, the electricity is just flowing through everyone at the Garden, through myself, through Kim, and everyone watching the game that's a Bruins fan. And then to lose on a breakaway, off a pass that hits a skate. I'd rather just lose in regulation, honestly. Save yourself the legs. Save yourself the hits. Oh, man. That was so bad. So bad. But what about um uh what about Varlamov for the Islanders? Getting the start, game two. Nails. Gave up that one goal early. Kind of thought he was gonna, you know, be uh, a uh, open gate all night, but you know, he really hammered down after that goal. You went you know, the whole second period, most of the first, and then half of the third period without scoring on him. Dude was a brick wall. He was an absolute brick wall. He made fantastic saves when he needed to. He faced 42 shots, saving 39 of them. I would not be surprised if the Islanders stick with him for the for at least game three. Obviously, I'm sure the coach wouldn't mind going back. I mean, he pulled the plug on, what's his name? What's Sorokin. Uh, yeah, Ilya Sorokin. The coach pulled the plug on uh, Sorokin after game one, putting in Varlamov for game two. So the coach has no fear, big juicy sack, to put in whoever he wants in between the pipes. And Varlamov was a Bruins killer all season long. He really was. I mean, I think he gave up a handful of goals all season long. And this is one of the reasons why I did not want to face the Islanders because, you know, they're a tough, gritty defensive team with good goaltending. I mean... You look at the Pittsburgh uh, Penguins, who may have more star power or better talent, but they're super leaky. Their goaltending situation blows, and your Bruins team can battle and play with, you know, in terms of firepower to the Penguins. And your firepower is far superior than the New York Islanders, but the Islanders have so much grit, so much physicality, passion, heart, and their goaltending's tough. That's why you need multiple lines to be able to generate offense. Because last night, I'm not last night, two nights ago, it was Marshan, Bergeron, the third, and then that one cheeky breakaway from Coyle. Other than that, and it's tough. It's tough. So hopefully, Bruce Cassidy and the Bruins make the proper adjustments, whether it's substitutions, game plans, approach, whatever it may be. Hopefully, he makes the proper adjustments because game three might be the biggest game of the season for the Bruins right now as we turn the series over into New York. If you lose this one, you go down 2 to 1. I mean, maybe not the biggest game because, you know, I just look back at that Capital series, you lost game 1 and if you lose game 2, you're down 2 nothing. I mean, right now the Islander series is a best of 5, so you can technically afford to lose another one and still be okay. But I mean, with these next two games in New York, you really don't want to and just for the sake of momentum and 
optimism and confidence within your locker room, game three is massive. It is absolutely massive, and I'm looking forward to it 1,000%. Three keys. I got to give my three keys for the Bruins here in approaching game three, which will be tomorrow. Uh, when does the puck drop? The puck drops 7.30 tomorrow in New York. What am I looking forward to as the Bruins play on the road in New York for the first time this series? Number one, consistent offense. I don't care how it comes. It doesn't have to come directly from goal scoring, but your offense in terms of consistency needs to be on at least three of your four lines. I kind of let the fourth line slide because they're the more physical line that I'm going to go hit them and beat the crap out of them kind of line. But if they're the ones that's going to score goals, hey, I don't care who does it. But just give me some consistent offense from another line other than the perfection line because you need multiple lines to generate offense and score if you're going to want to beat not just the Islanders in Game 3, but just beat them in the series, period. Number two, goaltending. I really feel like this hasn't been a, a key for the Bruins lately because Tuka Rask has been playing so well. I mean, I know I've mentioned it here and there, but if Tuka Rask does truly have an, a nagging injury and that something could hinder his play, you might have to look to Swayman. You might have to look to Halak. I don't even know where you're going to look, but you need to figure that out because like I said, goaltending is the second most important position in all of sports and Tuka Rask is one of the best goaltenders when he's on and he's probably one of the worst goaltenders when he's off. And if that injury causes him to be off, well, you can just kiss the series goodbye. So one way or another, the goaltending situation needs to be figured out, whether that's giving Tuka Rask some painkillers and him just posting a shutout or making the switch to Jeremy Swayman at any sign of Rask not being able to perform close to 100%. That's my second key to the game. And then number three, play your style or force the Islanders to play your style or just not their style. How about that? Force the Islanders to not play their style of hockey while you play your style because we saw in game one that the Bruins were the more physical team and I don't think the Islanders expected it. Come game two, the Islanders expected it. Bruins maybe might want to go back to their style of play where it's offensive oriented, like offensive Play calling, you know, set up schemes and all that, passing, really draining the defense, long shifts for the uh, the opposing team, good shots, absolute heavy amount of shots. I think that's the style that they should go to. And if they have to in the game, you make the in-game adjustment to become a physical aggressor in in-game. In-game. See how the Islanders come out. They might be flat-footed. They might be juicing with confidence. But whatever it is, whatever the Islanders come out to play, push them off of their style and really force your style upon the game so the game flows in your favor. Those are my three keys. But that's going to do it for today's episode. Before I go, please reach out to me on social media. Give me a follow, whatever. Reach out to me at Murphs underscore Boston ST where the ST stands for Sports Talk. I want to hear your opinion on either the Red Sox the Celtics, or the Bruins as we approach the weekend's almost here. The weekend's almost here. But obviously with the Red Sox having a big couple series and some games coming up, Celtics exiting the 2021 season, heading in. I'm, no, I'm like speaking so slow. Holy smokes. As they exit the 2020-2021 season, as they approach the offseason, what should we look forward to? What moves should we see? What moves should we not see? Let me know about that. And then the Bruins, big game three. What do you want to see from them? What do you hope or what do you not want to see from either the Bruins or the Islanders in this game? Big game three tomorrow, 7.30 puck drop in New York as the Bruins will go there for the first time this playoff series. That's going to do it for me. Please download, listen, and enjoy. Oh, and also on YouTube, duh. Like the video if you enjoyed today's episode. Comment down below your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, whatever. And also subscribe to the channel if you're new or haven't considered yet subscribing, as I would greatly appreciate all of it. But yes, folks, thank you so much for joining me for Hump Day's 
I mean Wednesday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. But between now and Friday's episode, you know that I love you. But best of all, I will see ya. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.